I did not have conversations openly with my parents about the birds and the bees. So I was terrified when I learned that I was expecting a daughter, just thinking forward to all the conversations that we would need to have. Fortunately, I have found a way to initiate those various layers of the talk, starting when Emerson was about eight years old, talking about puberty. And so we've had a lot of conversations, so much so that a few weeks ago, I said to her, how would you describe sex if I ask you to define what it is, what would you say? And this is my daughter for you. Mom, you should know you've had it. (laughs) We are wives, entrepreneurs, entertainers, executives, and at the end of the day, we are all moms. All at the same time and never in the same order. (laughs) This is Hi, My Name is Mom, a podcast about motherhood. Here are your hosts, Jen, Corey, and Kayla. Welcome to Hi, My Name is Mom. This is an episode about the birds and the bees. Ironically, we just had a podcast a couple weeks ago called When Sex Gets Unsexy. We've also been thinking about this subject in a very, very different way. (laughs) But with our children, Jen and I both have kids who are getting to an age where we need to have these conversations. Jen, do you know how to talk to your kids about this? So I have absolutely no idea. And you hit the nail on the head where you said, Sex has literally been inundating our lives recently. I mean, you and I, you know, and Sarah talking about our own sex lives. And I feel like with the kids being home and on their devices so much more right now, they're hearing things and seeing things that I'm not prepared for. And as much as I have all kinds of firewalls and protections like on those devices, man, they get access to stuff that I just never expected. And so to me, The sex conversation has to happen a little bit earlier than I ever would have anticipated, and it is scaring me to death. My friend Collins Foster actually is an expert in this field. Collins is a licensed master of social work, and she has a private practice that focuses specifically on helping to train and empower parents to have these talks she started realizing she had to have this conversation with her own daughter. And so now we're going to take advantage of her doing the work and she's going to tell us how to talk to our kids (laughs) about all this stuff. So hi, Collins. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I am so excited to hear what you have to say because, man, my heart rate has been insane the last couple days. I'm just, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, you know, a lot of parents, I think, feel like they have all this time that they can you know, put it off, like, I'm not ready, you know, they're not ready. Um, but really, it's it's sooner than you think. And it's, um, I mean, there's really, what I found in my research is there's really something to be learned as a parent and then conveyed at an age-appropriate way at every age, all the way, like, as young as a toddler. Yeah, it's never too early. <laughs> it's interesting because all of the kids, you know, as I said earlier, have a lot of exposure to things and it from different it, different places, you know, on social media and, you know, TV and YouTube and from their friends, like they're hearing things from their friends. And for me, my the absolute most terrifying idea is that some little boy or girl, as well-intentioned as they may be, might be sh- sharing misinformation or half-truths or things with, to my daughter that I don't want her to hear. You know, I'd rather hear it from me and hear it in a very like matter of fact and kind of age appropriate, appropriate scientific way. You know, at one point Radley uh, was in the bathroom with me and he's like, mom, why are you peeing out of your butt? At which point I knew there was a conversation to be had. And Ty ended up having a conversation with him about 
using the correct terminology. And now Radley is so good about using the correct terminology that we'll be in the middle of Target. And he's like, mom, I'm having an issue with my penis. Um, (laughs) And I'm like, shh. Is the right age to start talking about to our kids about this? I mean, I started thinking about this when I was pregnant, right? I think it's really important that parents, co-parents, however, whatever the situation is, the guardians who are raising these children really need to think about kind of your overall definition or tone or um, working explanation of what sex is. It's not just to sit down and like, you know, oh, well, let's Let's look up, you know, sexual intercourse in the dictionary. So for us, we really tried to figure out, okay, what are your values? Because our human, our, you know, paternal or maternal instinct is for us to think, okay, but this is my precious little innocent Don't do it ever. You ever do that. And it's going to always fit in the little hospital onesie, you know. So anyway, I think it's really important just to kind of think forward, you know, and, and you can use some of your own, you know, experiences, whether they were good, bad, you know, wish I hadn't experienced that, you know, that sort of thing and let that um, evolve into your working definition, get a family message down, right? Have that umbrella statement. And is that something, sorry to interrupt you, but is that something that you and your husband do, or is that something that you involve your children in? So it's something that you as parents do together and then take that into the conversation. You know, it's all these questions like, what are your, what are your faith, you know, beliefs that might factor into how you might want to define or put some framework around sex to your children? Are you more of a kind of scientific medical minded family where you want to put it in medical terms? Like for example, our working definition, and I'll, I'll say here, Emerson is an extremely spiritually wired child. And so for me, it's really easy to frame things in a faith-based perspective. And so ours that we use in our house is sex is a gift from God intended for marriage. Um, If you want to go the medical route, you can say, in order to preserve your physical, mental, or emotional health, delay sex until marriage or delay sex until, you know, mature adulthood. This has to work for your family. So if your family has no interest in sports, no athletic ability, no, you know, sports is just not your family's thing, you wouldn't then all of a sudden try and explain something to your children and using some sports analogy. So what you want to do is make sure that it fits within the tone of your family because it really needs to seem seamless and not just something, some random thing that mom and dad, you know, ambushed us with one day and then we never talked about again. But there's a lot of ways to work in or tweak certain words semantically just to make it align with your values and your beliefs. And don't get too deep into all the what ifs and all the little minutia of the complexity of relationships. Because one thing you don't want to do is we as adults, we tend to take this really big topic and all that we know and all that we've experienced and try and dump that onto a child when really the child really just wants to know the answer to a scientific or, you know, biological question, right? I found that with Rod where he'll ask about like, he'll be like, mom, uh, when am I going to die? Or when are you going to die? And I all of a sudden think I have to have this massive conversation and I'm prepping myself for that. And then I'll go, well, buddy, not for a really long time because, you know, most people don't die. Mom, can we read a Dr. Seuss book? And then he's just like on to the next thing. Like he yeah. just wanted a little nugget of information. 
Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. We almost overwhelm ourselves yeah. when it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. I love the idea about de- developing a message with your partner, a, almost like a family mission statement, if you will, exactly. about this exactly. part of your life. So you have this message. So you know kind of how you want to approach it. You know, idealistically, you know, what do we want what do we want our kids to think? When do we want them to think that they might want to have sex? And then is the first piece of that like talking to kids about their private parts? Um, it's called like the girl thing's called a hoo-ha, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had several friends and neighbors who had kids around the same age and they were using penis and vagina and I was just like I, all I could think about was us being in in the grocery store and her shouting out like, I have a vagina, <laughs> you know? And, and so you're thinking about like the embarrassment of it if she were to use it in public or whatnot. But here's the reason why it's so important. So research shows that children who are aware of and know the correct terminology for all of their body parts and know the boundaries of like, this is my private part it's in the private zone and you should not be touching it or asking me to show you children who know the body parts are less likely to be sexually abused. Wow. Um, It's just a, it's a way to educate them. It's a way to empower them. And it's a signal to potential, um, you know, child sexual abuse predators that this kid knows what's going on and they're they're They will not be as easy for me to groom or take advantage of. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that because I come from a family that did not use anatomically correct words. And so I find myself sometimes, I, I prefer to say penis and vagina when, it, when it's applicable, but I do find myself sometimes saying wiener or my, my family's favorite, by the way, for vagina is flaps. Okay. So no. I can't say that. It makes me want to vomit. I hate it. But like, that's what they all like grew up calling it. So that's what they just say. Are you, did you wipe your flaps? I'm like, okay, okay. And I get it to each their own. But like that makes, that is as cringeworthy to me as vagina used to be. Right. So I, so I do, I fall, I fall somewhere very much in the middle. I half the time it's anyone's guess what I'm going to, what I'm going to say. But I love the idea of making sure you refer to them in a very scientific way to protect their their private areas and their, their private zones. I think that's like, right. that's really important. Hey, you know what? My kid can yell penis all day in target. If it means that he is going to be more protected from sexual predators. Of course. Exactly. So another thing it does is it helps them to understand boundaries, right? So if you say your female area is your vagina, but that is also in addition to being your vagina, it is actually considered one of your private parts. And you know, private is the opposite of public, right? When Emerson was, when we were first going through all this stuff, she was like showing me something in a book that I had given her. And she was like, mommy, I've actually kind of been wondering about my public area. And I'm like, you're what? <laughs> she was like, well, this book, it talks about your public area. And I'm like, uh, read that again. And she was like, oh, pubic. <laughs> and I said, yes, sweetheart. That is the opposite of public. So you establish, you know, these are your body parts, this, and it's like, it's no different. It's no different than your elbow or your knee or your penis. I mean, they're all body parts. We were designed, we are, have amazing bodies that do amazing things. And every single part of our body is good. But some parts of our body are so special and are meant for such special purposes that they're private. They're not just for everyone to see or touch. So I presented this workshop several months ago along with a woman who teaches a 
course to parents called Darkness to Light. She is also a forensic interviewer, and she was telling us that she was called in to be an expert witness in a trial where a young girl had been sexually abused for many years, and the defense attorney was able to get the victim's testimony thrown out because she was not referring to her vagina as her vagina. So, I mean, it's from a legal standpoint and just from a, you know, wanting your children to be safe standpoint, um, you know, all caregivers, whether they're teachers, daycare providers, pediatricians, I mean, everyone is trained. If you're in the field of caring for a child, trained to use the anatomically correct um, vocabulary. And they just feel, they just feel smarter. You know, they want to feel like they're all like big and important. I know what this is. Well, I can imagine that also helps go far in instilling confidence in them, you know? So it's like they know what their body is for and what it's called. And so when somebody comes at them and is making a comment, you know, like the other day, um, my daughter told me that, that one of her friends told her she was flat chested. She's mm. 10. <laughs> so I'm like, yes. And do you know what these are used for? She's like, well, feeding your baby, of course. So I was like, and do you have a baby to feed right now? She's like, nope. And I was like, so do you need them? She's like, nope. So I was glad that she at least had a response to it. But if I hadn't had other kids, you know, if she didn't have any siblings, if she wasn't, you know, if breastfeeding wasn't like normalized to her, she might not know. And it might cause her a little bit more of a, of a self-esteem hit, you know? Right. That's a good thing to to instill in them is to help yeah. that. Well, that it's special. It's not something to be embarrassed of. It's not yeah. something to be to feel shame about. It's something that is special, and that's why it's off limits. Right. I had the most horrifying introduction to how I was going to start my period. I think it was my fourth grade teacher had to do sex ed, and she was really quirky anyway. But they separated the boys and the girls, and when she talked to the girls about their periods. She told us that we wouldn't know when it was going to happen, but that one day we were going to start bleeding. And that the way it happened for her is that she was dancing in front of her class in a white leotard and blood started gushing forth. Oh, Jesus Christ. That was what she told me. I was horrified and, and paranoid. And I was a dancer. And so I was always in leotards and, and I thought that was going to happen to me. So I lived in fear. I didn't start my period until I was 13. And then by that point, I was so terrified of it happening that I kept it a secret. And while other families kind of celebrated it, which I think is awesome, it's like, whoa, this is something cool that your body's meant to do. Instead, I felt it wasn't my parents' fault. It really was how I learned about it. And I remember needing to wear a tampon right away because I had to go to dance class that night. And I remember my hand just shaking because I just felt like it was like I didn't really understand and wasn't comfortable with my body. I had been dreading this moment. I was so terrified someone was going to find out. It was just all about fear and shame. And that's the last thing a girl should feel when she's 100% going through this. I'm right. so sorry that was your experience because it, it is, and I think now we're all so open that it is something that's celebrated, just like losing your baby teeth, your last baby tooth, you know, it's like a milestone. Yeah. Uh, well, there's no period fairy though. 
No, like, maybe there true. should be. Oh, maybe yeah. we should start yeah, that. Oh my gosh, you start your period. The period fairy, <laughs> the, the period fairy is going to come leave you, you get, a surprise. You get a card. You get to buy whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. I have a question for you, Collins. Um, that sort of speaks to what Corey is talking about. Girls are going, especially girls, but all kids are going through puberty a lot earlier, whether that's due to artificial growth hormones and everything or whatever. What age do you start preparing your kids for the changes that are going to happen to their body during puberty? Okay. So the, the right answer is it's really based on your child. Okay. So, um, but if I had to say an age, I would say because of what you just said in terms of, you know, girls, um, especially girls, because girls start developing faster than or sooner than boys. Um, I would say like second to third grade, Corey used fear. So a lot of these things are driven by fear, right? A lot of their insecurities, it's like fear of the unknown or, you know, fear of, you know, well, I heard this and I don't know if this is true or, you know, whatever. So if we can move from a fear-based to a knowledge-based entry into puberty, then there's a lot more confidence that can come along with that, right? And so my strategy for Emerson was, um, or timing, I should say, was, so she was going to sleepaway camp when she was nine for the first time. So I wanted us to be having these conversations in our house for a good year or so before she went off to sleepaway camp. But I just wanted it to be something where there was plenty of time for her to process it and for us to have a lot of mini follow-up conversations. And, and one thing that I, I mean, have y'all heard of the Care and Keeping of You, the American Girl series? Yeah, I, I don't, I would love to hear your opinion on this because I've developed a strong opinion recently. Oh, really? Okay. So I, so I um, and my first thing when I, when I was going through all this um, or trying to prepare myself to talk to Emerson about this was I reached out to, you know, my mom tribe that has, um, you know, kids, of, kids that are older. And so what I found was the care and keeping of you was kind of like the thing that everyone used. And I love it because it goes from head to toe, um, you know, all the hygiene, all the things. But it also talks about feelings. Um, and there's several different, you know, iterations of it. Um, but, and they really emphasize that self image and that self confidence and, you know, everyone grows at different paces. I actually, when Emerson, you know, had that episode where she was upset about what her friend had said to her, I actually pulled one of these books out and said, okay, we've, cause we had read through it obviously at that point. And, um, I said, you know, what does it say in here? It says that everyone develops at different ages and stages. Um, so I think, I think, I think second to third grade, I mean, when they hit fifth grade, at least in most states in the, you know, the public school system, fifth grade is when they have the human growth and development course. And so again, like you said, you want, you know, your daughter and your other children to hear things from you first. Yeah. So, um, I think really getting ahead of it is better. Well, um, it's interesting because to me, oh, so much of this, what we've talked about so far and just in general, so much of it is rooted in confidence, right? So last year, um, I read this book with Ava called The Confidence Code for Girls. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it was a really great thing. We'd lay in bed together while I would, you know, nurse the baby and we'd read, you know, a couple chapters a night. So 
I have, I was horribly bullied and teased as a child. I had no confidence and it wasn't until I got to college that I really came into my own, in a, in a confidence um, capacity. And so I've been really maybe overly pushing confidence and self-esteem with my kids. So one of the things, and I would love your, I would love your input on this because one of the things that several of my mom friends said about the American Girl book series, and I have, I have not read them, okay, in purposes full transparency, but I have seen excerpts. And one of the things that came up as a repeated topic was that book series brought up the word embarrassed over and over and over again. And there is one page in the very beginning that it says it three different times on the same page. And one of, one of the women that I respect a lot, who is actually a, a teacher and has a daughter, my daughter's age said, when we read this book series, my daughter was like, I didn't even realize I was supposed to be embarrassed about some of the things they were then telling me I was supposed to be embarrassed about. So what's the line there? Like, how do you feel about, how do you feel about that? Cause I thought that was really interesting. was a really interesting sort of takeaway um, because I don't want to be like, this is really embarrassing what you're about to go through, but I don't want to ignore that. It might, might also be embarrassing. Do you know, it's like a, it's a hard balancing act. I mean, that's a really interesting point. And now I'm going to have to go back and read them again um, with that in mind. One thing I'll say here that I recommend to all parents is before, even if someone says this is the greatest thing in the world, I recommend you read every single word of every page, listen to every minute of every podcast or video or whatever it is that you're going to put in front of your child to make sure that it aligns with the messaging that you want them to see. You could not be more right. That is like that to me, that's, that's key. So often people just sort of send things out and, you know, give their kids directives on things and they haven't actually read the content. You have to vet it and make sure it aligns with circling back to what we said at the very beginning so that it aligns with your family's plan. Right. But honestly, all of this, it's all the same thing. It's all educating them. It's all being the one who opens up the conversation so that then it can be an ongoing Like you don't want to be playing catch up all the time. Once you've had the puberty conversation, once you've talked about your body changing, how do you approach the sex conversation? I really think it's important to break up puberty and conception in two totally different conversations and preferably like with a little bit of time in between. I I think all kids need to have a really solid understanding of who they are and what their bodies are doing and what's gonna happen to them before you introduce the other characters. You know, when you feel like your child has has a good grounding of their own puberty process, you know, I mean, a few months ago I said, hey Emerson, you know what, you're about to get into middle school and I know we've talked a lot about what you're going to be going through, but you need to understand what the boys are going to be going through as well. And so I gave her the guy stuff book. It's um, produced by the same authors as the American girl books. The boys are going to be treating the girls a certain way and they need to understand why because those hormones are going right. So my, my strategy and my timing was I wanted to beat the fifth grade human growth and development to talk to Emerson about sex. In Georgia, fifth grade human growth and development does not talk about conception. It gets right up to the, you know, the egg and the sperm. 
So my plan was that when Emerson finished up fourth grade, so right out a year ago, um, I was going to wait till the summertime and, you know, things are more relaxed and whatnot. Cause this is not a conversation you want to be like, Hey, you know, you got to get your softball uniform on. And by the way, let me explain to you how babies are made. Like you need to make sure that the timing and the environment and the, the headspace is, is right. So I had what I thought was my offensive strategy, but then like three months prior to my timeline, we're coming home from a softball game and we had just dropped off a teammate of hers that whose mom was pregnant with their fourth. And, you know, she's like, Hey, so can you just tell me how babies are made? Just like when we get a text message or an email, we are wired as humans, especially in this, you know, communication age to respond immediately. We as parents need to give ourselves the space and the grace to be able to say, you know what, that's a great question. And I've been, you know, wanting to talk to you about this because I think you're approaching, you know, that age where it's really important you understand these things. But right now, as we're, you know, driving home from your friend's house is not like the best, this is not the best time. And she's like, okay, so how about at bedtime? I'm like, perfect. So we get home, I tell her to go get in the shower. And I'm, of course, I'm to my husband, I'm like, she's asking, she wants, like, tonight's the night. And he's like, you know, good luck with that one. Let me know how it goes. And I'm like, I had a book and it's called, it's so amazing. And there's, it's like a three part series. They're all very similar. And I had read through it. And just like I said earlier, I knew at what point in the book was my stopping point, right? Because at age 10, she just asked me how babies are made. She's not asking me about masturbation. She's not asking me about same sex attraction. She's not asking me about anything other than how babies are made. So that is the question I will answer. I think it's really important to give kids a little bit of control within the conversation and then the process of educating them. Because some kids, like my daughter was really interested, right? But some are never interested. They're never going to initiate it. So sometimes you might need to initiate the conversation, right? Like you certainly don't want your child going off to high school and never having had a conversation about anything, right? So I think it's important to give them choices. And it can be as simple as this. Hey, sweetheart. So I have this book and I've already read through it. I think it has a lot of great information and I trust that this is a good resource for you because it's giving you the facts. And you can say, do you want us to read this together? Do you want me to read it? Do you want to read it by yourself and come let me know when you're done and then we can talk about it? So kind of give them a few options because the last thing you want to do is for your child to feel completely ambushed. If you're initiating it, you can even say like, hey, now that you're about to go into whatever grade it is, whatever grade coming up. I really think there's some things that, you know, you're old enough and mature enough and smart enough that um, I really, you know, want to share with you. So there's all kinds of ways that you can either respond to it or introduce it if you're going to initiate it, but give them some wiggle room to just feel like they're in control and that they can, they can, they can choose the, the sharing of information um, environment that, that is, feels the least awkward to them. That actually kind of reminds me, as, as horrifying as that experience was in school, I actually think my parents had a similar approach to what you're talking about when they taught me about the birds and the bees because my sister and I had a book called How Babies Are Made. What you were talking about, like them not knowing, is interesting because 
one of the things that happened to me, I are, I knew how babies were made, even if I wasn't thinking about any of those other more advanced things you're talking about. I understood the basics. So it was very much that the right approach. And I had a friend over who her parents had not broached the subject with her. And this friend said to me, hey, uh, I found at my house pictures with naked people in them. And I was like, oh, we have that too. But she wasn't talking about a book, <laughs> How Babies Are Made. She had gotten into her stash of her dad's Playboys. Oh, yeah. And so she had been looking at that. Well, all I had to compare that to was this book with like the, you know, the kid's book. So I go, oh my gosh, we have a book like that too. So I get the book out and we read the book and she goes, what? Had no idea. No idea how babies were made. Well, as it turns out, she went home, told her mom, and her mom was furious with me. She called my mother and said, what right does your daughter have to be teaching my kid about sex? Her mom was furious when really, like, I, I was coming at it from an innocent angle. I, I mean, I didn't know about Playboys. Yeah. <laughs> One of my main goals when I was thinking about how I wanted to present this, all the layers of this topic to Emerson was, this is good. Sex is good. It's, you know, your body is good. It's not embarrassing. Your body is good. Sex is good. This is the way it was designed. And it wasn't just meant to be a mechanism to make a baby. It was meant to be an expression of love. I mean, I think we do our kids a disservice. I think we, our generation and our moms and grandparents' generation, we're all done a disservice because what you do here, if you're not hearing conversations about it being good within boundaries and what all these things are and what they mean, if you're not hearing those in your household, what you are hearing are all the negative messages, all the lies, all the things that social media tells us, all the things that, you know, unfortunately, pornography tells us, right? And so it's this thing that like for me in my head, it was like all the messaging was as bad. If you, you know, if you do this, you know, too young or with too many people, you're a whore, like all these things. And then when you get to the place in life where you have to shift, yeah, you have to shift yeah. your thinking, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, well now I'm a, a, um, a mature consenting adult. And all of a sudden there's like this. It's a good thing. Collins, you said something to me, and, and, and I don't know where your comfort level lies on this, but you said something interesting to me when we were first talking about doing this podcast, and you said that Emerson now knows more about all of this than you did when you got married, and you wanted, oh, yeah. you wanted it to be a different experience for her. So what was your own experience that led you to want to ha give your daughter a different experience? It was just a lack of dialogue with, between me and my parents. I mean, my, my talk was, so I laugh when I even say this, because like I'm sitting here talking about, like, you should talk to your 10-year-old about this. I was in 10th grade. Oh my gosh. 10th grade. Okay. Wow. Okay. My parents still haven't had the talk with me. So it's all good. <laughs> well, so, so my parents, you know, they pull me into their bedroom Again, like awkward, these, you know, the setting matters as well. Right. So they call me into their bedroom and I remember my, the, like there was this chair in the corner of their bedroom and, and my mom sat there and like, there was this flowered wallpaper. And all I can remember from this visual is like her 
absorbing back into the wallpaper and like trying so hard not to be part of actually be part of the wallpaper. Right. And so my poor father, he's like, you know, well, you know, you're, you're a sophomore and you're dating a senior and well, you know, well, your mom and I, well, there's certain things. And he just kept fumbling. And then all I remember is this was it. Well, just walk a straight path. And you had no idea what that meant. And I'm like, okay. I mean, thinking back on it, I mean, I'm sure because I, whatever I did know, I learned on the streets, right? I learned from like, you know, friends and, you know, other people and, you know, whatever. Um, and so, I mean, you thought sex was called scromping or whatever we used to call it. Oh my God. That word in forever. (laughs) You thought that was a technical term. (laughs) Oh my God. Like that is, that does take me back to high takes school. It, that takes it back yeah. to like um, airbrush t-shirts over spring break, you know? It's better for kids to start hearing these things younger in a safe environment and for there to be multiple conversations had before any of these changes start happening. Because like she's always been very comfortable coming and saying, hey mom, come look at this or, you know, look at this body part. Does this look normal? You know, that sort of thing. And so she she went on this spiel in the car and she was pretending as if she were me and she were leading a workshop. And she went all the way from two people meeting and, you know, having feelings for each other. And she carried it all the way through conception, even to the point where she was like, and she was, you know, being all funny. And she was like, okay, so listen, folks, this is how it works. She's like, so get this. There's like one egg that drops every month. And it attaches to the lining of your uterus. And sometimes, not all the time, that makes a baby. But if it doesn't, that lining comes out. And that, folks, is what we call your period. You know, so so the fact that she can articulate that. And first of all, I will say, like, for as much as I talk to other parents about this subject, like, we've had all these conversations, but it's not like I go in her room on a weekly basis and say, hey, like, I want to make sure you understand this. Can you explain to me, like... No, she's listening. She yeah, was that it's information. really good that she's taking that from you and, and actually able to regurgitate it because that's part of what I think kids are lacking, right? Yeah. I have a friend who had kids a lot younger than me, and she has a son who is um, a junior or senior in high school, maybe like rising senior in high school because he didn't graduate. And she said to me the other day, she goes, we talked about this conversation. We started the sex, you know, and body conversations very early. So he knows everything. And I go, okay. So he knows like when women, when, when women ovulate and when their fertile window is, because that's just as much his responsibility as it is a woman. And it was like crickets, but that's the, that's the truth is that like, when, when do you start having the conversations about it could happen? It might happen. You might want it to happen. Like how does all that roll out? Because I will tell you as someone who had, I was really preached abstinent abstinence as a kid and, and maybe it worked because none of the four of us got pregnant out of wedlock, but I did that. She did. She did. <laughs> yes. Corey did. That's right. <laughs> none of my siblings and I, none of us did. So, I mean, I will say maybe it worked, but I also kind of wish I had a little bit more, um, prepping, you know, for what that, for what sex was and, you know, why you wait and how you have, you know, a healthy relationship, maybe even out of wedlock when you're in your early twenties and you're trying to decide if someone's your life partner. Yeah. How do you start to have the conversations about, I know you're not going to have sex, 
But if you do, like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you wear both those hats? The first iteration of it should just be answering the question, just the actual like biological, what happened, the scientific, you know, the sperm meets the egg kind of thing. So for, for us, when Emerson asked me and I sat down, we read that it's so amazing together. And like I said, we stopped at a certain point. And so when, when we got to the part of how the egg and the sperm get together, she goes, she kind of looked at me and she goes, you and daddy did that one time (laughs) because most of the time it's framed in the whole um, context of this is how a baby is made. So she's an only child, right? So she's thinking like, you have one child, you did this one time. Did this for that purpose. Right, right, for that purpose. And so I said, so I answered, she said, you did that one time. I answered her question. I said, yes. Oh no, honey, I've done that lots and lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then is like, this is all a lot for them to process, right? And then for some kids, it can be kind of like the onion peel, like, okay, my parents did this. And then they see another family out in the neighborhood. They're like, oh, they've had that. You know, it's like, but also at this age or the younger they are, they don't have all the hormones charging. Like they're not thinking of the dangers or the pleasures of sex, right? They're just thinking about the mechanical process that you just told them, right? So a couple months later, I, um, took Emerson on this little weekend getaway and I used like a curriculum package that of another mom at my church had told me about and it's called Passport to Purity. It's this set of audio files that you listen to ideally like in the car driving around. First of all, any of these extra like resources that you put in your toolkit, they kind of do some of the explaining for you, right? So like pressure off. I was just driving and it like they interviewed these um, young adults like in their 20s and you know some of them their story was that they had decided when they were much younger what their boundaries would be and they stuck to those. Some people said you know I set out having this boundary and then I blew right past that when I was in a moment of weakness whatever. I really like that version of it because it because the other thing and we've talked about shame on this podcast like the other thing is it's a fine balance as a parent between, you know, kind of setting some standard of decisions or choices, but just knowing that, you know, not setting it up in such a way that like if they choose a choice that you wouldn't make for them, that there's not this guilt and shame that just like weighs them down for, for years and years and years. So anyway, we're listening to these DVDs and Emerson, you know, I saw her back there and she had this like kind of really, um, perplexed look on her face. And I said, what are you thinking? She goes, Oh, the wheels are turning back here. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, so, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? She goes, so people don't just have sex just to make a baby. And I was like, you got it sister. I think that's where having a really solid understanding of what you and your partner, what you want your family message to be. You know, some people, I I talk to parents all the time. Some people are of the mindset that they're like, well, I'm not going to tell my kids not to ever have sex, you know, when they're in high school or college, um, you know, because I know they're going to anyway. So I'm just going to tell them how to be safe. Some people are of the mindset that I'm, you know, I'm going to tell my kids that they better not, or they'll be, you know, condemned, judged to hell. So like, I think it's really important not to approach it from a fear-based perspective, but from a knowledge-based 
perspective. So when Emerson was having that conversation with me on the way to my parents' house, um, once she, I was like, wow, you seem so, you know, knowledgeable about this. Can I ask you some more questions? And I said, so what would be a reason why a middle schooler or a high schooler should not be engaging in any kind of sexual activity? And she was like, well, because let's just say that you had sex and you really didn't mean to, or you weren't ready it could make you feel really, really angry and anxious inside. And then if the person you had sex with went and told other people, like that could be really embarrassing. And then there could be all these like rumors that are spreading about like, and we've never even talked about that, Jen. I mean, I've never like told her all the reasons why she shouldn't have sex, but, but when we let her think through it, right, right. And so I, I think it's really good. Plus it gives you a pulse of where they're coming from. Like instead of us just constantly having a one way, like output of information to them, I think it's really good and it helps them develop their own critical thinking skills. You know, what are the physical reasons why you might want to wait until you're a mature adult to have sex? Right. Um, what are the, like, and I asked her, I said, how do you think this could impact you emotionally? And she was like, well, if I had sex with my boyfriend in high school or college, and then he broke up with me and he started dating someone else, I would probably be extremely sad. And I'm like, she's so emotionally advanced. Listen, she, (laughs) she is like a 100 year old woman, right? Um, But even so we have to assume our kids are smarter than we realize. I think, I think that all the time. And if you let them it's all, it all roots back to where education meets values within your family. So you give them the opportunity to make their own discoveries, but you sort of lead them on that path. They're going to understand it. It's like they're applying the knowledge and finding their way through it. Jen has had any of your kids because you have a new, you know, with the age difference, I have definitely broached subjects with rad because of being pregnant that I probably wouldn't have otherwise have your kids started asking questions? Well, the thing is, you know, Ava and Charlie are just two years apart, but Mason was a couple years, two years beyond that. So Ava was four, Charlie was two. So I was very open with them that, you know, and at the time it was just very age appropriate conversation. It was God put a baby in mommy's tummy and we're going to have a baby and we're going to welcome this baby. And it's going to be a little boy, you know, we're really excited. And so they knew that the baby would come out and then they saw after Mason was born, I don't close the bathroom door. So they saw when, you know, the great flood hits after delivery and you're on your period for literally a month. And nursing. And and nursing. They're very privy to seeing all of those things. So they've never been taboo in our house. We talk about them all the time. And then Ava, when I finally got pregnant with Evelyn, she was almost nine. So... I kind of had, I start, I felt her out in the beginning because I didn't know. I always, my mom always said, you have to assume your kids know more than you think they, not more than you, but no more than you think they know. And you also have to take a much more conservative stance than you actually believe. And those are two things that always stuck with me. So I wanted to feel out whether or not she had any sense of how babies were made and she did not. And so I didn't go there. I stuck with the God put a baby in our tummy. We, you know, prayed and we asked for a baby and, you know, we're finally blessed to have this, you know, little baby sister. And, you know, back when, um, we were trying to conceive and she didn't know we were trying to conceive. I kept saying, 
I'd love to have another baby, you know, but I don't decide whether I have another baby. And she's like, who does decide? And I said, well, God decides. And she kind of thought about it for a minute and she goes, okay, well, that's good. Cause God knows I need a sister. And I was like, Aww, there you go. Okay. That's so, so sweet. Right? So at the time, like that was her mentality. Like she, she, she bought it. And I mean, by the way, I believe that I believe God gives you a baby. So it's not a lie. It's just a little spin about how it gets there. And, and now though, I'm watching my boys who are eight and six. I sometimes just get undressed and get in the bathtub and they're standing there. And like, I kind of do watch wheels spin a little bit in their heads. Like I can see that they are starting to like put pieces together of things a little bit about their own bodies and how they're different from mine and how they're closer to daddies and, and things like that. So no, they haven't outright asked me anything about the, 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 the mechanics, like Colin's yeah. talking about We're this is a perfect example, Jen, of two families approaching things in such different ways. Yeah. Like you re, you approached it from a more spiritual place and, you know, Ty and I are like the science family. Rad asked a lot of really specific questions. So when he was younger and he would maybe have an off-the-cuff remark of like how babies are made, I'm like, well, love. When two people love each other, they make a baby. And that was kind of my approach. And I think I kind of used what my parents had said too early on, which was that daddy planted a seed in mommy. But with Radley, when he was uh, five and I was pregnant with Sebastian, he really wanted to know how the baby got in there and he mm. wouldn't let it go. So mom, I know you said the baby came from love, but how did that baby get in there? And I'm like, well, when two people love each other, it's like a se- No, but, but how did the baby get inside of your belly? So this is where I needed to turn to a better resource. And I think that's kind of one of the things you've talked about, Collins, obviously, is like, you don't have to have all the answers. You can yeah. have the right resources and it doesn't have to all be on you. And so we got him this book that talked very specifically, not so much about sex, but it did talk about like a baby either comes out between the mommy's legs or out of a cut in her belly. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was not a sexual education book. It was a book that was about the mechanics of that baby and how it's getting. We have talked a lot about delivery, obviously, because just between C-sections, like my boys, everyone actually thought that that's how babies came out for a long time because I had three C-sections before Ava or before Evelyn. But I did tell them like, you know, mommies can push babies out between their legs too. Like there's lots of ways to get babies out. I just haven't had the conversation about how the baby gets in the belly. That's the life. I think that's where I am too. I have books that explain this at the toddler age all the way up to like, you know, middle school reading, right? Some of them at the very basic elementary level, it's almost like a recipe. It's like sperm plus egg equals baby. One thing that a mom said to me in a workshop recently that that I thought was great was that a lot of times um, what we hear is the, the phrase, a man places his penis inside a woman's vagina. Until she pointed it out to me, I had never really thought about it, but it makes total sense. That puts all the decision-making or all the, like, it puts it all on the man, right? Yeah. And so what she said is I started saying that a husband's penis and a wife's vagina are like puzzle pieces. And when those two people choose to put their puzzle pieces together, that's when the seed can go from 
the husband's penis to the woman's vagina. So it's, it's like a puzzle piece versus like an action that a man is doing to a woman, which yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I was that. like, you know yeah. what, this is, that makes great sense. Um, because again, going back to consent and mutual enjoyment and mutual, you know, all these other things, um, it really does kind of align with what I know in my household, what I've been trying to like convey to Emerson, that it's a, like, it's a mutual decision, you know, in all the layers, I think it's important to talk about, you know, boundaries or whatnot. When Emerson and I um, were going through the, the conversations last year, you know, the, the curriculum that I used did talk about, um, you know, rape. It talked about, you know, there are instances where a man or a woman will force another person to engage in sexual activity or whatnot. And that is absolutely not okay. You know, all these different things. Um, So unfortunately you have to go there, but I think again, with the knowledge base and empowerment versus fear base, you talk about what the intention is, what it was designed for, how it was supposed to work first. And then you have to give them the, you know, the empowerment of the safety piece of it and let them know like in certain situations, if this were to happen, this is what it's called, you know, that sort of thing. I think one thing that's important, um, and Jen, this goes back to what you were saying earlier about like other kids and what they say um, and how that impacts like your, our kids' internal dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's really important um, to also parent to the other side of that, right? For us to set a standard, but also, like I said earlier, to make sure that they are not judgmental of other people like yeah figure out what your what makes you happy and what makes you feel safe and healthy and if that looks totally different for someone else and their choices about relationships or you know their own sex life then that's it if it doesn't impact you it really doesn't matter to you I decided that if I really am committed to making sure that I am doing the majority of my daughter's education around these different topics, then no topic is going to be off the table. Right. Right. And so there's scenarios, there's cultural and social, you know, scenarios that are much more talked about today than they were, you know, 50, hundred years ago. And so if she's going to potentially be exposed to it or the conversation about it out there, we're going to have it, the conversation in here you know, because our kids are going to come home and they're going to bring all these things that they're hearing about. And they're going to say, well, what about this? Well, defining it using like proper terms, medical terms, not, you know, you may hear your friends describe it as this, but it's actually like, this is the, the medical or scientific definition of it. Defining something for our children does not have to be in the same conversation intertwined with our opinion about that, mm-hmm. right? So if we want them to be educated, then we can say, oh, if you heard, you heard this, like if they come home and say, like, the boys were talking about this on the bus, what is this? You can define it for them. Or you can say, hold on, great question. I'm about to cook dinner. <laughs> if you need to like give yourself a second. Sometimes in my own head, when I'm thinking about all the, like, she's about to go to middle school. Like I've already heard some of the things that older parents are seeing on their kids, you know, group chats or whatever. Yeah. I, I will say, and, and I have no problem kind of throwing this out there because I'm, I'm so appalled by it, but I have a friend who for the last three or four months has been taking screenshots of articles in Teen Vogue 
and they are appalling. I don't really consider myself all that conservative when it comes to, to sex and these conversations with my kids. And man, it even was a lot for me. So these are from Teen Vogue, March 21st. Like anything worth doing, sexting takes practice. That's sexting. Teen Vogue, Spend you guys. nudes the right way. Oh, no. Sexting isn't sexting if it's not consensual. Okay, well, that's good. Thanks for that little one. How have they but not been like sued by parents? Teen if you're in the Vogue. early stages of your romance, you can still forge an emotional boot bond with your new boo by sexting, by texting <laughs> and FaceTime. I can't even say it. There are all kinds of creative, fun ways to sext if you're at that level. Five reasons why you might be feeling tingly down there. The reality today is that with the constant, unfettered access to the internet that so many kids have, we're all just one click away from pornography. And I don't mean like rape an accidental click yeah yeah that's not even to say that you know if somebody's into some like fun porn like whatever but there's some really bad stuff out there what's really important for parents and you know it's something that they can do like today right is make sure that all your devices and all the devices that your kids have access to um have safe search on them have the google safe search have the you know the droid filters, whatever it is. And and also to have the conversations with your kids about, you know, what pornography is. I mean, the average age of, of a child first being exposed to pornography is 11. Yeah. That's disturbing. You know, I mean, this, this goes into all the layers of the talk, right? I think it's important for us to be having these conversations because never, there was never a generation before that had a parents who had this much um, messaging bombarding their kids like teen Vogue. I mean, that's like, that's crazy to hear, but I mean, kids can get so much more than that. Just hanging out on their iPads in their playrooms. Right. A lot of times I think we, as parents, like, especially our generation, it's like if a white van slows down and, and someone tries to talk to you, like run from the white van. Right. But now in our mind, like if my daughter is in her playroom hanging out, like there's one layer of my consciousness that's like, oh, she's home, she's safe, the door's are locked, the alarm's on. But if she's on some sort of, fe- she does not have social media, but if she's on some sort of app or game or whatever that YouTube. has any kind of chatting feature, yes, she could be potentially communicating with or communicated to by, you know, some online predator. I want to let everyone know that Collins has a two-hour workshop that she gives for parents, and you can actually hire her to do a workshop for you, your friends, your business. Collins, where can people find you? So my website is fosteringsuccessllc.com. And the other thing that would be awesome is to share some of these books that you recommend or the audio thing you were talking about. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I know like you've helped me immensely. I I think my gut told me what I needed to do and you have helped me feel like my instincts were on point. So I I appreciate that a lot. Well, thank you all so much for having me. I think, you know, a, a final thought I will tell is, you know, I have a lot of parents asking me, when is the perfect timing? What, you know, what is the perfect answer? That sort of thing. And I think 
really to set ourselves up for um, failure is to expect that these conversations will go perfectly. The only perfection in it is that we are aware that they need the conversations need to happen and that we're doing our due diligence and willing to show up to the conversation. That's what makes it perfect. All I know is I am going to go talk to my husband and, and be like, hey, you know what Colin said? You should really talk to the kids. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I will woman up. We'd also love any advice from our listeners. If you have stories to share with us, please reach out. You can find us um, at HiMyNameIsMom.com. HiMyNameIsMomOfficial on Instagram and on Facebook. Next week, our girl Kayla returns. She's going to tell us how her birth experience ended up going down and all about what new mommyhood is like. Your name is Mom.